the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The timeless message is this. How do you keep anger from ruining your testimony? How do you maintain consistency over your anger and vengeful tendencies? How can you make sure that you won't lose your temper tomorrow when you were so kind today? Losing your temper can really damage your testimony. On the other hand, a friend of mine came to Christ as a result of seeing a Christian co-worker control his temper. How we handle our anger says a great deal about us. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is taking us through the life of King David, a most remarkable man. We will be covering quite a bit of ground today, so if you have your Bible ready, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. Here's Pastor Steve. Someone has said that great leaders often have great weaknesses. I think that's true, and uh, certainly that was the case with the biblical character David. Wonderful man of God, but uh, some real weaknesses. Often, though, when we think of of David's weakness and sin, uh, we usually focus on his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and uh, we don't think of anything else. That's all that comes to our minds. However, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and I encourage you to turn there, we read about a time in in David's life in which he, he lost his temper. I mean, he really, really lost his temper, and as a result, he almost killed a lot of innocent people. And that was a terrible thing. And now, the fascinating thing about this incident is that it immediately follows the story of David being so patient with King Saul. Uh, David was so um, cool-headed, where he did not uh, seek vengeance, and he did not attack King Saul. And yet here he is, shortly after that, ready to kill uh, and really do some mass murdering. So angry, he's going to retaliate with, with murder. Now, I wonder, and I think this is the case, that most of us, if not all of us, can relate at a certain level to, to this paradox. What I mean by that is this. One day, you're doing so well. You have victory over anger. You don't lose your temper. You're patient with that nasty person. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's just anybody. And you're really, really patient. You didn't strike back. You spoke really, really nice and kind. And you didn't, you didn't blow it. And you're really pleased with yourself. In fact, you're thinking that you might be getting your act together spiritually. But... The next day comes, and all of a sudden it hits you. Somebody says something to you, and you fly off the handle. And uh, you're not cool-headed, you're hot-headed. You just lose it. Your anger gets the best of you, and uh, 
you're ready to do and say something, and maybe you have, that you're going to regret later on. Now, why is that? That's a paradox. Why is it that one day you're so calm, and the next day there's no consistency, you're not calm? What, what happened? How did yesterday's patience become today's temper tantrum? How did yesterday's incredible refusal to retaliate become today's readiness to bite someone's head off? Why, why is that? Well, the answer to these questions, and a whole lot more as we go deeper, is really found in the story of 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's a story that involves three main characters. Number one, there's a man who's a fool, and his name is Nabal. He is a fool. In fact, that's what his name means. His name means fool, and he certainly is a fool. And this man, Nabal, insults David, and he's a fool. It also involves another character. Nabal has a wife by the name of Abigail who is no fool. She's described to us as beautiful. She's described to us as intelligent. And she's a very wise woman. The third character is is King David who is also no fool but is about to act like a fool. And so the story uh, revolves around around these three main main characters. And as it unfolds, the, the message becomes rather clear. And here's the message. In chapter 24... We read a story, as we've gone over this, of David not seeking vengeance towards Saul. Then in chapter 26, we read a similar incident in which David did not retaliate against Saul. And sandwiched in between these two stories is a story of David about to seek vengeance, really blowing it. So when we put it together... When we put all this, I mean, David is on the verge of losing his testimony. And so as, as the story involves, when we put the context together, the timeless message is this. How do you keep anger from ruining your testimony? And that is to say, how do you keep uh, and maintain some consistency over temper? How do you maintain consistency over your anger and vengeful tendencies? That's to say, how can you make sure that you won't lose your, te- your temper tomorrow when you were so kind today? So the story is about this. The message is this. How do you maintain victory over the temptation to get angry on a daily basis? How is there some consistency? How can you have victory on an ongoing level? Some of us have real struggles with anger. Some of us are ready at a moment's notice that, that someone like lights a fuse. Others seem to have a better handle on it, but all of us struggle at times. Well, we're going to find out this morning how we can have victory on a consistent level, a daily level over anger, because there are two key truths about anger in this this story. There's a lot of things going on in this story, but two key truths that if you know these truths, you should have victory over your anger, and uh, it would keep you from being so quick-tempered. Number one, the first truth that you should know about that would keep you from being hot-headed is know the source of anger. Know where it comes from. Know what the source of it is. Read in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 25. I hope that you've turned there. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, as the chapter opens up, we read about Samuel. Haven't heard about him for a while, though the book is named after him. Samuel was that great prophet. 
He was the last of the judges, and he was the first in a, in a line of prophets, in an official prophetic office. He's the one who anointed Saul. He's the one who anointed David. And now he's, he's died, and Israel is mourning for him in his hometown of Ramah. And it may very well be that David went there to mourn for him as well. We're not, we're not sure. But if he did go there, he quickly got out of there because Saul is still after him. And so David, David heads south. In your Bible maps, if you look on it, it's the southernmost part of, of Judah. And uh, it is, uh, it is a, an area that's sparsely populated. Uh, not many people there. And, and uh, bands of uh, uh, Philistines would roam and attack the people there because they could hardly defend themselves. And that's important. Keep in mind. So that's where he's gone, the southernmost part of, of Judah. Now, let's read verses 2 through 8. Now, there was a man in Maon, which was an area in that wilderness, whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. Now David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. And now I have heard that you have uh, shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in uh, Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. Now, living in this region, we're told, was a very wealthy man who owned thousands of sheep and thousands of goats. His name was, was Nabal. And um, this man was very wealthy, but he was an evil man. He was a foolish man. He was a harsh master to the shepherds who worked under him. In fact, his name means, as I said a few moments ago, it means fool. We, we know that from verse 25. If you jump over to verse 25, you read this. Uh, Abigail says to David later on, Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Uh, it means he's foolish. He's a fool. Now, I thought about this this week. I thought, what parents would name their son fool? Do you ever think about that? Where would you come up with a name like that? So probably his parents did not name him fool. It's kind of incredible to think that they thought, let's name him fool. I don't think so. But I think what happened was it was a nickname because he was a fool. Uh, he got that name because he acted like a fool. So he probably had another name, but his name just stuck. Nabal, fool. And that's the way he was. He may very well have been the man that Jesus had in mind in Luke chapter 12 when he gives a parable about a, a fool of a man who said, I'll build my barns bigger and bigger and I'll make more money and more money and I'll eat, drink and be merry and uh, that's all there is to life. And Jesus said that God said to him, you fool, this day your soul is required of you and you have not considered God, you have not considered eternity. It may very well have been that this was the man that Jesus was thinking about. It, it, we don't know that for sure. If it wasn't Nabal that, it, that Jesus was thinking about in his parable, it certainly was someone like Nabal because that's the way he was. 
just get rich, get rich, get rich. But he was a fool of a man. Now, as foolish as Nabal was, his wife was just the opposite. According to verse 3, her, uh, her name was Abigail. She was intelligent. She was beautiful. And someone might think, well, if she was so intelligent, how come she married a fool? <laughs> well, you have to remember that in those days, the fathers arranged who you would marry. She had no choice in this. And most likely, it was arranged because he was such a wealthy person. So um, maybe her father was not as wise as, as she was. But in any case, she's married to a fool, but she's not a fool. Now, while David, and this, we're just explaining these verses now, while David and his 600 men, remember there were 600 men who joined themselves to David, while they were in the wilderness of Paran, they, uh, they roamed the same area where Nabal's shepherds roamed and, and grazed his sheep. Okay, keep that in mind, that's very important. And uh, they, they gave a service to Nabal's shepherds. They protected them from the bands of Philistines. They watched over them. They, they were a shield to them. We know more about this from verses uh, 15 and 16. Uh, one of the shepherds tells Abigail this, yet the men were very good to us. That is David's men, he means. They're very good to us. And we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and by day all the time we were with them tending the sheep. So what he's saying is, while we were out there, these men were really good. They didn't insult us. They didn't take any sheep. They protect us. They were like a wall protecting us from the bands of Philistines who often came down and attacked us because we we're kind of defenseless here. So that's, that's good. Now, remember that David was a shepherd, and Dave Mount sang about that, how God took him from being uh, a shepherd, but he was a shepherd, and so he probably had a soft spot in his heart for shepherds. And so he probably told his men, look, take Take care of them. Uh, I know what it's like to be a shepherd. It's not easy. So be good to these guys. But I think there was, in fact, I know there was another motive there. It wasn't just because he had been a shepherd. David had another motive in treating Nabal's shepherds and his sheep well. David was responsible, keep in mind, for the welfare now of 600 men. That's a lot. Who's going to feed these men? Who's going to clothe these men? Where are they going to get the food? Where are they going to get the clothing? It's David's responsibility. He's in charge. So they needed food and clothing. Where was he going to get these things? So uh, this is very helpful to understand. This will put it together for you. There was a custom in David's day that the owner of the sheep would pay a portion of, of his profits to those who protected his flock. It was a custom. It was kind of an unwritten law, like, like going into a restaurant and uh, leaving a tip in our day for the waitress or waiter. There's nothing written that you have to do that. Um, but we should do that. We should do that. Don't ever leave a track without a tip. I just want you to know that. But that, it was a custom. At, at, uh, and he would pay, the owner of the sheep, the custom was, he would pay at the time the sheep were sheared. So that's what this is about. David is sending 10 of his men, has sent them up to Carmel, which is in the, the northern part. And uh, they are telling Nabal that we watched over your sheep, uh, your shepherds, and uh, we'd like some remuneration. We'd like to be paid for our services. He didn't have to do it, but it was a well-understood custom, and uh, you, you wanted to do that. So, Nabal, however, refuses to pay them anything. That's why he's a fool. Verse 9. 
When David's young men came and spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name, then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I take then my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men whose origin I don't know? Now this is an insult. Not only did Nabal refuse to pay, which is what these verses are about, but he has deeply insulted David and, let me, and his men. Let me explain to you about the insult. He accuses David of being in rebellion to Saul. Of being like a runaway slave. That's what, that's what verse 10 means when he says, who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. And when he says, who is David? He doesn't mean he's never heard of David. He knows very well who he is. Everybody in Israel who knew who David was. And the reason I say this is because he said, who's the son of Jesse? Well, how does he know he's the son of Jesse if he doesn't know who he is? He knows who he is. What he's saying is he's a nobody. As far as I'm concerned, he's like a runaway slave. There are many of those around here. He's in rebellion to Saul. He is disloyal to the crown of Israel. That's a horrible insult. He's a nobody. It's a cruel accusation. He is suggesting that David has uh, really been disloyal to Saul, which is just the opposite. Remember, David has just gotten through not killing Saul because he's so loyal to him. Remember, he said, I could not and would not touch the Lord's anointed. David is the most loyal subject that Saul has ever had. And now he's being accused of being disloyal and being in treason to him. And on top of that, on top of that personal insult to David, he, uh, he's accusing his men of being lazy goof-offs. That's what he's saying. Should I give you a portion of, of my food, my clothing that I've, I've got for my shears and my shepherds? The, the um, indication here is this, the accusation is, I don't know you guys, you're lazy goof-offs, go out and get a job, a real job. My shepherds have a real job, that's why I'm paying them. You guys are just lazy, idle goof-offs. I'm not giving you anything. So he's charged David with rebellion, disloyalty, laziness, and David is absolutely infuriated. He goes into a rage. Verses 12 and 13 say this, so David's young men retrace their way, And they went back and they came and told him according to all these words. And David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David while 200 stayed behind with the baggage. He's so mad, he's ready to strike Nabal with the sword, but not just Nabal. Because we read in verses 21 and 22, now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he's returned me for uh, evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more so, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. David's not going to just get even with, with Nabal. He was going to kill all of Nabal's shearers, Nabal's uh, uh, male servants, the shepherds, all of them. They're gone, as far as David is concerned. This is mass murder. There's got to be a lot of these men, and he's going to kill them all. Now, we need to stop here and ask, 
How could this happen in David's life? How, how could this possibly be? How does a man who so graciously refused to retaliate with Saul, who, who, by the way, wanted to kill David, now plan on murdering Nabal, who just verbally insulted him? And that sound a little inconsistent? It sure is. I mean, David's out of control. He's planning on mass murder for a fool of a man. Instead of just saying, well, what can you expect from a fool? David is going to do something that if he follows through, he's going to live to regret. So how do we make sense of this? And I'll tell you why this is important, because the same reason that David flew off the, uh, the handle is applicable to us. It's the same reason that we do it. It's the same reason why we can experience real victory one day and lose it the next day. And here's the reason. It's called wounded pride. That's all it is. Wounded pride. David's ego was was hurt. It was wounded. How dare Nabal insult me? Does he know who I am? You know, it's one thing to take it from the king of Israel. It's another thing to take it from a fool. That's too much. Now, folks, this is, this is the real reason and the source of our anger. It's not somebody else. It's not foolish people who insult us. It's because our pride is hurt. That's why we have little temper tantrums and hissy fits, because we think we deserve better. How dare they do this to me? Don't they know who I am? little respect here. How dare they do this? We think we have rights, and uh, we think we have a right to something, and if somebody gets in our way and challenges on that right and, and won't allow us to get what we think is coming to us, we get angry. We can't stand it when we're put down, we're humiliated, and, and we're made to look like, uh, like fools and, and very small. It's just our sinful pride. And that may hurt, but I believe that's the truth. I don't think anybody gets a handle on anger as long as they, as they think it's, uh, the problem is somebody else. Somebody else did me wrong. Sinful pride. That may be true. Somebody else may really have offended you. Obviously, Nabal was a fool and did the wrong thing. But that's, uh, that's not the issue here. The issue is David's response. So we need to recognize it. And we need to let God use this kind of uh, put down in our lives to bring deep humility to us, to remind us of who we really are. I had a wake-up call about this uh, several weeks ago. And uh, I've, I experienced wounded pride. Every few weeks, our, um, our mime evangelism team uh, has gone down to Clearwater Beach, and they put on a mime, and a uh, crowd gathers around, hopefully, and uh, they take whoever takes literature, then we, we, uh, we witness to them, and we'll take it as far as we can. Well, you've seen, the most of you have seen, uh, we put on the King of Hearts mime here, and you have a little Velcro heart that uh, the person who plays Jesus takes off and puts it on the ground. Well, at the beach, it was a little windy, a little windy, and, and one of those Velcro hearts blowing away. So I reached down and I picked it up. Now, I'm not dressed like somebody in the mime. Everybody in the mime is in black, uh, except the person who plays Jesus who's in white. So I picked down, I, I reached down, I picked up that, that Velcro heart, I put it in my back pocket. All of a sudden, a woman taps me on the shoulder and said, and she says to me, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, you give that back to them. This is a church group and you don't steal from them. And I said, uh, oh, it gets better. It gets better. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm, and the mime's going on now. I want to talk too loud. I said, uh, you know, you don't understand. I'm with the mime. She said, yeah, right. <laughs> said, 
I'm going to be watching you. And, uh, you know, that really bugged me. The whole night, it just bothered me. And it bothered me because I thought, doesn't she know who I am? She thinks I'm a common thief. And worse than a common thief, I steal Velcro hearts from churches. I mean, think about that. If I'm going to steal something, I'm going to steal a little Velcro heart. What am I going to sell it on the black market? I mean, so I thought, wow, how dare she do that? And um, you know what it was? It, it was just my pride. It's just my pride. There it is again, our old nemesis, pride. We sure get into a lot of trouble when we fail to keep our pride in check. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more about the source of our anger on the next verse by verse. Pastor Steve has been teaching for over 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of our listeners. Visit us on the web at versebyverse.org. That's versebyverse, all one word, dot org. To get this entire two-part message on one CD or cassette, call us at 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. Leave your name and phone number and we'll return your call during regular office hours. Anger can get rapidly out of control like a nuclear chain reaction. How do we regain control? Better yet, How do we keep from losing control in the first place? We'll find out on the next Verse by Verse. I'm Jerry Pruden. I hope to see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.